Some of you know that I've often said I'm from the south side of heaven. You have people inside the Senate. You have people that are supposed to be on your side. Make the decision to live and die on your turn. You are not wrong. They have was about everything. The border, the elections. I remember America and the American gun owner are the only things standing in the way of the Great Reset. Who's got the teaching aid? Uh, you know where I'm going with this. We are fighting a war against principalities. We are fighting a war against evil. I pray that we get to look into the eyes of every single child in this country proudly that those children can look back and be proud of us, knowing that yes. we fought for them. Men, I don't talk with empty words. Those teaching aids, those are called balls. Gentlemen, I've given you back your balls. You only got one? Improvise. God's given us a chance to make it right. He's created a remnant for a reason. You are the remnant. I want you to know we're winning. God is with us. And in the end, we know how this ends. Welcome back to another episode of Conservative Daily Podcast. This is a special live stream event. We'd planned to go live at 9.30. I apologize, we're a little bit late. We, uh, we're doing some extra testing to make sure that we don't lose our feed again. So hopefully we won't lose our feed again like we did yesterday. But uh, if, if it happens, stick with us and we will have it back up as soon as we can. I'm very excited with our guests today. So this is a special live stream event. We're going to be going to Mesa County and talking. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be watching the Board of County Commissioners as they receive the findings, or at least some of the findings, from District Attorney Dan Rubenstein's investigation into Mesa County 3. We, uh, that, that hearing is scheduled to start at 10 a.m. Um, I am joined by the amazing Holly Kaysen, Press Secretary for Cause of America and USEIP. Colonel Sean Smith, retired, who is the president of Cause of America and a uh, good friend of the show, and of course, the amazing Apollo. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Ash and Apollo. It's great to be here. Oh, it is always a pleasure to have you all, uh, especially on this momentous day. Uh, where I'm sure we will we will see uh, absolute integrity uh, at every <laughs> in every moment. Always. Oh yes. Always with government. So uh, so we are uh, we're going to go live to the hearing as soon as as soon as they go live. But we wanted to start a little bit early today so we could set up for the audience. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing a live stream event? Why are we carrying on this this national podcast? Why are we carrying a County Commissioner meeting in Mesa County, Colorado. And the reason for that is that Mesa County 3, the forensic report that is being discussed today in the hearing and will be discussed on this podcast after the hearing today, uh, Mesa County 3 alleges that vote swapping occurred, and not just in 2020, but in the April of 2021 elections. And so we thought we'd take a little time before the, uh, before the hearing to talk through what is actually in the report. Um, so Holly, I'm going to hand it over to you to talk a little bit about, uh, what, what can we expect today? Well, um, you know, there have been three reports that have been generated from the forensic analysis of, uh, Tina Peters backups of the, uh, election records in Mesa County. The first report talked about how Jenna Griswold and Dominion came in to do a trusted build, which reset all of the, um, hardware and software in the county and what they discovered is that 29,000 election records were deleted. Now Griswold and uh, you know some other elected officials in Colorado have been saying hey these these uh, um, uh, records were irrelevant they didn't need to be uh, saved they were junk uh, but what we know is that no elected official has the authority to decide what election records should and should not be uh, preserved for 22 to 25 months, um, according to state and federal law. Well, and just let me interrupt you there. It's not just the authority. Uh, no elected official really has the skill set to be able to tell us what election files on the server fall under the category of election files need to be preserved. Sean, is, is that right? I don't know if there's no election official, but based on their public statements, zero of them in Colorado, other than Clerk Peters, uh, Clerk Schroeder in uh, Elbert County, 
and uh, Claire Klotz in Douglas, all, all of whom. So, so in Douglas, they didn't do a complete image, but in Elbert, they did a complete image. And, it, and it's interesting because when you look at, you know, the, the, the compromises people know about, Solar Winds Compromise is probably the most famous in public memory recently. When you start reading uh, uh, cybersecurity uh, infrastructure, security agencies bulletin to government agencies telling them what to do in response to that, the very first thing they say is every agency that has the capability needs to image their systems and look at the network traffic and the operating system. And when you look at the voting system standards, they're really clear that you have to retain all of the operating system log files because that's part of the audit trail necessary to be able to see on these complex computer systems what's happening. So this has been obvious for anybody who actually read, but as far as public officials, um, there's not very many who appear to be reading either that or the statutes that require them to preserve them. I think they just kind of make it up as they go. So we have a, uh, a summary, uh, Mr. Producer, if you could pull up A3. And Holly and Sean, I'll let you guys tag team on this. Kind of walk through, this is a summary of the, the key findings from MESA 3. So let's talk about what's in the report. And then I want to take some time and, and speculate on what we might hear today from District Attorney Rubenstein. So do we have uh, A3, Mr. Producer? Yep, two seconds. Um, while he's bringing up the, the graphic for the third report, just to let everybody know in the second report, the key findings were that um, 36 wireless devices were found in the hardware of the um, electronic election equipment. And so what that means is that basically debunks uh, the fact that the, the errant claim that we've heard for so long that these devices and this equipment cannot uh, connect to the Internet. Maybe, Sean, you want to talk, to talk to that a little bit before uh, Mesa 3 comes up. Yeah, it's like it's like Cosby's old comedy routine about how your child will lie to you about going after the cookies. Like the first thing they say is that they weren't doing it, and then they tell you they were getting a cookie for you. Right. So the public officials <laughs> yeah. in Colorado told us forever, oh, there's no, there's no way they can connect to the internet. It's not possible. And of course, they say internet, and it's hard to tell if they're deliberately playing a semantic game or they just don't understand the difference between internet and any external device, which would be unauthorized under uh, you know Colorado election rules, and really is totally unwise. So, yeah, they used to tell us uh, the public that you know, and over and over again, Colorado County clerks, Colorado Secretary of State representatives would say, "Oh, there's no, there's no capability to connect to the internet." And then we found there's 36 wireless devices in a single county's single counties voting system and they said well they're off yeah they we weren't said, well, on yeah how are, how do you know they're off well they turn them off during the the configuration and the trusted build that's not true so why and did the they counties, tell us that they didn't even have the capability right and it's not that they just said it it's that the for dominion and and this is you know uh, the capability we believe exists for all of the machine manufacturers but for D dominion the ceo of dominion went in front of congress and said, they don't have, these machines don't have the capability. We don't even have that capability. I don't understand why people are saying this. Lies. Lying yeah, to Congress lies. is a crime, I think, isn't it? Lying under uh, it depends on, depends on who you are. Yeah, two standards right. of law. So let's pull it up, Mr. Producer, and uh, kind of walk through the, the core findings. Let's take about, we've got 10 minutes until the hearing's supposed to start. Let's take about five minutes, walk through what's in the report, and then let's... Uh, Let's have some fun speculating on what DA Rubenstein might say. Right. So, Sean, do you want to um, go through the, the top points or do you want me to go through it and you want to comment on it? Um, I can just hit him. It's fine. Okay. So, so the, the major, so the previous two forensic reports in Mesa had already covered some ground. They had already said, look, you, there were thousands and thousands of election records deleted, uh, election records in the form of log files, which again, the voting system standards that are mandatory under state law in Colorado um, require that the voting systems comply with those voting system standards. The voting system standards specify all kinds of log files, basically anything that can be logged on these 
they call them COTS, it's not really COTS, but a modern complex computer system like a tower or a desktop, anything that can be um, logged, you log it because you need all of that to be able to see what happened on those systems. So the previous MESA report said, yeah, not only were those destroyed during the trusted build by the Secretary of State, the systems were configured according to technical documentation provided by the vendor and disseminated as mandatory by the Secretary of State, they were configured to automatically overwrite log files every few days. And so they were in two different ways, they were destroying election records systematically. That's the first thing. Second thing is in the second MESA report, the uh, forensic examiner, Doug Gould, said these systems are not secure. I'm looking at this image. It doesn't comply with the voting system standards configuration requirements. The voting system standards have a, all of these things that you have to secure on a voting system. You know, make sure that you can't log in, that you can't alter data, that you, um, you know, only either blacklist all computers or only whitelist other devices that you want to be able to connect to. And the second MACE report said this thing is wide open to um, outside systems. You could literally, they said you could connect to the system with a uh, an iPhone if any of those wireless networking devices, the 36 of them that were included suspiciously in a voting system that uh, isn't supposed to connect to any outside devices. So um, those were kind of the major findings of the first two reports. It's not secure. They destroyed election records. It's wide open. So the, the third report of actually found manipulation of the voting system databases. This is where all the scanned ballots go into um, and from which vote totals for an election, the election totals, the election results are drawn from these databases. So the, the examiners, uh, Jeff O'Donnell and Dr. Walter Daugherty found, uh, Dr. Daugherty confirmed it, they found that there were these shadow databases created in the uh, Mesa County Election Management System server, not only for the November 2020 election, but again, in the uh, Grand Junction uh, municipal election 2021, and that ballot images and records were copied over, um, re-adjudicated, but it wasn't the same results, and all of the records weren't copied over, so it broke the chain of custody and the chain of evidence that linked the ultimate election totals for those elections back to the scanned ballot images and the scanned ballot records. So if you don't have that chain of custody, that chain of evidence that shows, yes, these results came from those ballots, you can't trust anything in that database. So let so me, those let were me the, pause there for a second, Sean. So what, what we're saying, so went through a lot of information there. The, the first two MESA reports focused on the November 3rd, 2020 election and showed deletion of files, new databases created, wireless, device, uh, wireless connectivity, right? This third MESA report shows not just uh, evidence from November 2020, but also from the Grand Junction city election in April of 2021 and shows what let's go into that specifically it shows unauthorized manipulation of uh vote total databases it shows the, vote the creation totals were manipulated is what you're saying the databases themselves were so so it's worse than the vote totals because you can't even trace it back to to specific ballots it, it basically it it'd be like if you're if your proof that of your identity was an id card and then you didn't let anybody look at the ID card and you destroyed the ID card. And then you just said, okay, this is the person who proved their identity. Well, you're supposed to have the proof. There's no proof because of those databases. So first, yeah, first of all, so going back to the second report, second report wasn't just they have wireless network devices. It was that all the security controls that are supposed to be configured to protect those systems were not protecting those systems. Like we have a door, but you left it open. We have a lock but you left it off. You turned that off. Every single safeguard they had left misconfigured or not applied. So the systems were grossly vulnerable. <clears throat> the examiner said you could have connected to these systems from literally any computer anywhere in the world. Go to Russia, go to China, pick a computer, you turn on the wireless network device in that voting system, and they could have connected to it. So, so it, was, it was as vulnerable, really, as you could possibly make it. It, it, it wasn't, and it wasn't just that it was accidentally vulnerable. There were deliberate manual rules created for the firewall that allowed any computer in the world to access. That's not excusable or explainable.
by you know any responsible agent. So so then that so but, wait, wait but a second. Have, yeah. Wait wait wait. So we've been told since election day in November, and I'm sure since April 2021 election day, safest and most secure election in history. That yeah, this was the most transparent election in history. And now right. we see, so that was, and, and the only thing that we were given is evidence of that. The only evidence that we've been given that this was the safest and most secure election in history is a pinky promise of trust us, bro. Trust us, it's safe. The experts say that it's safe. Here we have a report from experts that are saying the opposite of what the the broad swath of government experts say. How are they going to explain this away? Well, this is the question um, that I think is going to start coming up, especially today in the third report and in this hearing. The people who have been, uh, you know, rebutting all of this, the evidence, the overwhelming evidence of election fraud, malfeasance, manipulation across the country from Antrim County down to Fulton County in Georgia, Michigan, Georgia, excuse me, um, uh, Arizona, Colorado, none of these people have technical chops, right? They're lawyers, they're um, political poly, science, poli sci grads, <laughs> you know, they're bureaucrats. These, the, none of these people have um, technical expertise to be able to go toe to toe with these these reports. I and do think, though, that Jenna Griswold has, if I'm not mistaken, either a minor or at least a high level concentration in dance. Is that useful in this context? Yeah, that is. Um, tap yeah. dance. I mean, tap, they're tap, tap dancing around tap the truth. Dance. Yeah. yeah, tap yeah. dancing. Um, and maybe a little theater, yeah. you know, a little. You, know, you guys know, because we've talked about it, but the people who said that it was the most secure election are the very people who should be held accountable for the mm -hmm. insecurities in the election systems and the election itself. It'd be, I mean, there's a reason that your teacher used to make you yeah. 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 So sorry, Holly, go ahead and continue. Well, so, you know, going forward to what we think we're going to be seeing today, um, let's just catalog some of the experience that Rubenstein has. He's a he's a lawyer. Right. Um, I would guess that he probably has boomer tech skills, you know, boomer level. Um, and and I think we should talk a little bit about what what the impact of that is, because what we've seen so far, especially from the County Clerks Association, which is the group that speaks for all of the clerks in Colorado, says, um, you know, nothing has gone on here. Everything is safe. Everything is secure. Yet the person, Matt Crane, who's the executive director, has no technical skills whatsoever, nor do any of the clerks, as far as we know, in Colorado. Now, I think between the three of us, we've talked to pretty much all of them mm -hmm. at some point, and we know, we absolutely know for a fact these people have a different skill set than tech. So, you know, Sean, you know, what can we expect from Rubenstein in terms of um, his ability to deep dive into the facts of this report and actually give it a fair vetting? Well, I, I would say we've been pretty critical uh, with good cause of Rubenstein because he's had uh, physical possession of the equipment, which would include access to both the images and data, you know, any latent data on the hard drives, as so, well as Sean, being I'm able to examine. So, Sean, I'm going to stop you. The hearing is going live now, uh, ah. Mr. Producer. I don't know if you have that. If we want to, yeah, we'll go, we'll go to the live and... Uh, uh, jump in the chats. Pay attention to the Chiron. We're going to be uh, we're going to be sharing information as the hearing goes, um, and then we'll be back afterwards to to break it down for everyone. Basically, either they've investigated, and or they haven't. And if they've investigated, they either did it themselves, which would mean they investigated poorly and inadequately, or they brought in an outside expert because they don't have the expertise and they need independence, like you would for any audit. So, so those are the choices. They didn't investigate, they investigated poorly, they investigated well. We're about to find out which of those three, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how you get findings unless you investigate. So I'm excited because there maybe there's a chance that this district attorney has actually done his sworn duty and brought in a competent investigator to uh, look at those systems and validate or refute the findings of the techno report from the guys with 120 years of combined cyber expertise. Yep. And with that, I should also, sorry to jump over you, Ash, but um, we are going to have one of the authors of the report, of the MESA report, 
uh, number three on the live chat. So go ahead and ask some questions. Jeff O'Donnell is joining us from down south in Florida, and he's going to be joining us after the live stream for our um, analysis after the hearing. Uh, Mr. Producer, I'd like to read the ad for the other partner as well, if I can. Is that okay? So we have another uh, sponsor who's been pretty awesome, and that's IP Vanish. If you're tired of feeling like somebody's always watching on the internet, maybe advertisers know a little too much about you. If you're concerned about the privacy of your identity using incognito mode, won't always solve the problem either. IP Vanish VPN is here to protect your right to privacy and help you stay anonymous online. When you use IP Vanish on your computers, tablets, phones, even your Fire Stick, your, your, all your data is encrypted, and that means your private details, passwords, communication, browser history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location is hidden. This makes you virtually invisible online. IPVanish is offering a 70% off yearly plan for our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's like getting nine months for free. IPVanish is super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're instantly protected. You won't even know what's on. Go to ipvanish.com slash daily and use promo code daily to claim your 70% savings. That's ipvanish.com slash daily. Slash daily is important to save 70%. All right. Then we go to the live stream. Let's go to the live stream. Let's see what DA Rubenstein has to say. Of um, fraud in voter elections, the, the victims of that fraud would be the citizens of Mesa County. Uh, there's also allegations of fraud for the municipal election in 2021. So it's the November general election for 2020 and the municipal election for 2021. Uh, I have been in contact with uh, Mayor Anna Stout to let her know uh, to watch this uh, Zoom presentation uh, and to let me know if she wants me to present to the city as well, because I'll be covering both. I initially contacted only the county to schedule this because the county was the one who put on both elections, but then realized that the actual victim uh, of the municipal election would be the citizens of the city of Grand Junction, you being the representative of the county uh, citizens and the, uh, the county in its entirety and the uh, Grand Junction City Council being the representatives of the uh, citizens of the city of Grand Junction. Uh, I wanna start with just a little bit of background of how we got to today. Uh, and then uh, we're gonna have a presentation about what our investigation was and what our findings and conclusions are. I would like to encourage you to stop me as we go through the presentation and ask questions as we go, because there's a fairly large amount of information. A lot of the terms are technical terms, and I want to make sure you're understanding what it is we saw and what it is we did. Uh, and then uh, I have also provided to you a 24-page summary of my findings and conclusions. Uh, I provided uh, that just for, for the citizens who are here or are listening. I provided that to you this morning. Uh, and have asked Stephanie Reese to post that on the website in the same manner that you normally post things during a commissioner hearing on your normal Tuesday morning hearing uh, so that anybody can download this and review it. Uh, with that, I'll get started with the background. On August 9th, uh, 2021, I got a call from Deputy Secretary of State Chris Beal. Uh, for clarification, the Deputy Secretary of State is the number two in that office. Uh, Chris Beal is not somebody who had ever spoken to before. Uh, he informed me that morning that there was a breach of election security and that the Secretary of State's office would be investigating that. He let me know that the Secretary of State's office does not do criminal investigations, and they were here merely to do an administrative investigation related to the certifying or decertifying of voting equipment. He in indicated to me that he believed there may have been criminal acts that were surrounding this security breach and wanted to know if I wanted to be part of the investigation from the beginning, or if he wanted to just conduct his administrative investigation, let me know what he saw later. I told him that I, that was not how we conducted investigations uh, here in my office, that we need to be involved from the get-go uh, to make sure that we have our eyes on to look for what my people are trained to look for. Uh, Colorado Revised Statute 1-13-101 directs me to investigate election crimes under certain circumstances. Uh, it directs me and only me being me, the, the district attorney. Uh, there are other agencies that are authorized to investigate, but I am required to under certain circumstances. This did not meet those circumstances, but because of that statute, I have uh, trained staff that are trained and investigate uh, elections, fraud crimes, and have been doing so since I've taken office and even before I took office 
our office did that. And so we had a trained investigator on site for that purpose and he was assigned. I have since uh, added another trained investigator for that purpose. On March 23rd, a report was, well, let me back up for just a moment. The result of that investigation was a grand jury indictment of two people, uh, Clerk Tina Peters and her deputy clerk, Belinda Nisley. Um, since then, a report was submitted to the DA's office on March 23rd of 2021, uh, referred to as Report 3. There are prior reports that had been submitted to our office that sort of came through uh, in connection to the investigation, the grand jury investigation, but those prior reports did not allege actual voter fraud or anything tampered with the election. They merely pointed out vulnerabilities in the system that could have led to voter fraud. So I did not feel like that was something I needed to investigate because in the absence of an actual tampering with the election, there wasn't a criminal act. This report, however, report three claims that criminal acts actually occurred and Clerk Peters uh, has claimed that this report was made for the forensic from the forensic images that she made uh, in 2021. Uh, it claims that the, it proves that election fraud, she's claimed that this proves election fraud. Given that I had launched a criminal investigation based upon Deputy Secretary of State Beal's word that he believed crimes occurred, I believed it was appropriate and what my citizens would want to launch a criminal investigation based upon Clerk Peters saying, this is from the images I took and it proves voter fraud. Uh, so upon that, I did, I did launch a criminal investigation into whether or not the allegations in report three uh, were true and whether or not there were crimes associated with that. That is the purpose of the briefing today is to let you know what the finding of that investigation was. Uh, because there is an ongoing criminal case of the grand jury indictment, uh, I'm not able to discuss that at all. But this investigation really is of separate things that occurred during the uh, 2020 general election and the 2021 municipal mm -hmm. election. Okay, so first I want to talk about the participants in the investigation. There was a brief interview with Walter Doherty. Walter Doherty is one of the two authors of the report three. Uh, that interview, and I'm gonna ask uh, investigator Strew to chime in uh, as we go through this because he actually conducted the interviews, but I would describe it as uh, brief. Uh, investigator Strew asked him, told him that he wanted to speak to him about the report, about who they interviewed because the report claimed that people were interviewed and that their recollections were very clear about what happened. And so obviously when we're conducting our investigation, we wanna know who was interviewed and what did they say? Uh, Mr. Doherty indicated that he was not the person that interviewed anybody. It was the other person who wrote the report with him, Jeffrey O'Donnell. Um, is there anything further on that? It, it, it ended a little oddly. Oh, yeah, it was, I would not classify it as a full interview, but we just got started and, and kind of the first point of contact was who all was interviewed for this report, uh, which he answered was the other author, Jeffrey. And then um, he made a brief statement and, and essentially said he'd call me back and repeated attempts to get in contact with him again have gone unanswered. Can you guys hear him? No. no? Okay. Um, do we have another microphone or maybe just speak more into the microphone so they can hear you? That if they can't hear you, Zoom probably can't hear you either. Sure, I'll get close to my boss here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would classify the interview with Walter Doherty as brief. Uh, I initially got to the crux of who was interviewed for this report. He said that the other author, that'd be Jeffrey, uh, was the only person who did the interviews. Um, he gave a brief statement kind of about the report and then essentially said he has to call me back repeated attempts to get in contact with him have gone unanswered. So it was not a thorough interview. Thank you. There are also multiple attempts to interview Jeffrey O'Donnell. Uh, those started with uh, investigator Stewie. The, the report didn't have any contact, any phone number to contact him. So um, investigator Stewie was able to locate several phone numbers that are associated with him and his family and tried to call. I believe two of them were not turned out not to work. The third one was uh, answered by a woman who said that she was his wife. Uh, and there was uh, conversations, the initial conversation with his wife indicated that she would 
that he would want to talk to us about this. Uh, and there was efforts to uh, set that up. Uh, there were a couple phone calls, I think two or three, ultimately phone calls. Those are all recorded, by the way. All of all of the interviews are recorded. Everything is these interviews. Yeah, these interviews are recorded, um, and uh, the entire investigation file will ultimately become public record and open to the public. Uh, but ultimately, uh, investigator Strui uh, tried to get Jeffrey O'Donnell to talk to him, and we received an email from him. So the email is up on the screen here, as you can see uh, down at the bottom. Uh, it says, Mr. Struey, thank you for your interest in my forensic report of the Mesa County Election Database. It's my sincere hope that your department uses documented findings to get to the bottom of the manipulation which occurred during both the 2020 and 2021 elections held in Mesa County. However, I must ask that you please forward all additional questions about the report to Tina Peters' counsel. For those who don't know, when an attorney speak, when an attorney is told, don't talk to me, talk to the lawyer, we are ethically precluded from ever contacting them again unless they contact us. Mr. Strui, uh, Investigator Strui replied, thanks for replying. I have questions about the report that Walter Doherty indicated. Only you would be able to answer. I have indeed reached out to Ms. Peters' counsel regarding her availability for an interview on the matter. In bold, please understand this is in regard to my investigation into allegations in your report. This is separate and unrelated to the investigation into the actions of Ms. Peters or anyone else in regard to accessing Mesa County voting equipment. You, Walter, Ms. Peters, and others I'm attempting to speak with are, are witnesses to matters detailed in your report. That is my only reason for contacting you. I'd really like to speak with you. Please call when convenient. Thanks. We have never heard from him again. He clearly indicated to go through counsel and we cannot do anything. We have to wait for him to uh, get to us. Uh, interestingly, uh, I was handed today when I walked into the room, a statement from Jeffrey O'Donnell. In the statement, I will read, uh, well, let me back up. When we conduct any investigation, we need to make sure that we do not have any bias of what we want the outcome to be. Anybody who spent any time with me knows that I take my job very seriously as district attorney of this judicial district to make sure that I am investigating with an open mind all possible activity and determining what occurred before deciding how to proceed. In this statement from Mr. O'Donnell, it says the report clearly states that it was written in defense of Tina Peters and others' legal cases. I understand that he has a motive to be in defense of Tina Peters, but we cannot consider that and we need to go into this with a true open look at what occurred. Uh, he never contacted us and unfortunately we are therefore unable to make any further conclusions about who he spoke to or what else happened. Others that were components of the investigation, we did attempt to interview Tina Peters. That involved us reaching out to her counsel, again, because she's represented. Uh, we reached out to her counsel. Uh, and we're told that she would not interview with investigators Strui or Cannon, who are my investigators who are trained in election law. Uh, he said that she would consider being interviewed by somebody else that was not connected to her other case. Uh, as commissioners, you're probably aware I have five DA investigators. One is grant funded and can only work on domestic violence cases. Another one started after this investigation, another one started a couple of weeks ago is trained from the state patrol. The third was a former homicide detective from the Grand Junction Police Department. And then the two that are on this case. I don't have other investigators that know anything about this. I explained that to her lawyer and her lawyer declined to have her be interviewed in the report that she provided us. Uh, next was an attempt to interview Sandra Brown. Uh, actually, let me back up. I will tell you that Miss Peters, while we wanted to interview her because she was the one essentially making the report to us of potential criminal activity. We did not believe she actually was an eye or ear witness to any of the offenses and have since confirmed through the video evidence that she was not there for any of it. So it was really more sort of background. Uh, Sandra Brown, on the other hand, was the uh, election official that was in the room for most of this. And when we in attempted to interview her, that involved contacting her, again, not related to any criminal investigation of other issues. We got a call back from a lawyer that said, you should be going through me and she's not going to uh, be interviewed. Uh, there were 11 staff or election judges that we interviewed. Those were people that we determined, anybody that had a role in anything relevant, uh, we were able to see on video who was there. Uh, some of them were election staff, some were volunteer election judges. 
Oh, I'm sorry, not volunteers? They're actually not volunteers. They're uh, hired temporary Mesa County employees. Right. These are the temporary judges that, that appear for the election. Uh, we interviewed Dominion support staff and other people associated with Dominion that understood the programs. Uh, we reviewed the forensic data, specifically the same things that the drafters of the report reviewed, as well as their report. Uh, we pulled the video. Um, the video for both of these elections was intact. It did take some time to get through IT to get it sort of pulled out of archives, but we pulled the video and have that, and we'll be showing some of that today. We pulled phone records because there was some discussion about when uh, help desk type people at Dominion were called, and so we pulled phone records to corroborate those sorts of things. Uh, investigators created a test election environment to recreate actions and verify it would produce the code. Uh, what we were what we received in the report was a list of code uh, that's, if you were to type something into your computer, for example, you were to print something, there would be a code that would be reflected in a log of what your computer did and it wouldn't look like you think it looks. It wouldn't indicate that you sent something to the printer, it would be some string. Uh, and so we had a lot of things that we didn't know what they meant and we were, we were able to work with uh, Brandy Bands, the designated election officer, the county attorney's office, the secretary of state. They were very clear. We were not allowed to touch any of the computers at all, but we were allowed to ask um, election officials to do certain things in a test environment to see if it produced the code that we were trying to match up with some of those logs. User, user logs, yes. Uh, so what does the report claim? The report claims that in both elections, a second adjudication database or session was created. That is not supposed to happen. During a normal election, what is supposed to occur is an adjudication session is started at the beginning of the election, the beginning of scanning all the ballots, and that is the same adjudication session that occurs throughout the entire election. During both of these elections, the, a second adjudication was started. Uh, and was populated with files. Yes, uh, Commissioner. Yeah, for the benefit of myself and probably the public as well, can I explain what adjudication is in this process? I will get there in just a second. Okay. Uh, actually, I'll, let me get let me do that and then I'll come back. Okay, so uh, I'm showing you a slide. This slide that you're looking at, there are things that occur before you get there and there are things that occurred after you get there. So think of up in the top left corner above tabulation, there are ballots coming in, they are opened, they, are, they have signatures matched, they have all sorts of other things that occur before the ballot actually gets scanned. The ballot getting scanned, think of when you were a, when you were a kid and you took tests with the little bubbles, little Scantron machines, it, it sort of gets scanned in and that's called the tabulation. A human scans in and counts the numbers of ballots and they take a photo of the ballots. Later adjudication judges are going to look at those ballots, but they don't look at the piece of paper. They actually look at a essentially a photograph of it. Uh, so after they're tabulated, they go to the NAS. That's a holding place, kind of like an escrow. Uh, where the in the computer memory and it holds the ballot images from the NAS, things are sent to adjudication. Adjudication can go one of two ways. It can go to review, which is where everything on the ballot matches up. There's one bubble filled in for each election. There's no handwritten things uh, there that would cause somebody, you know, write-ins uh, that would cause a human to have to look at this form the computer is able to determine voter intent off of just the ballot itself. Review is determined by human set conditions. People decide what to tell the computer when to kick it over for another person, the election judges, to look at it. So you can say if there's an overvote, overvote meaning two people are voted for, kick it over to the judges to see if voter intent can be determined. Maybe one of them has a line through it and is crossed off. If there's a write-in, that needs to be checked over to the adjudication judges because the computer can't read everybody's handwriting. You could tell it to look at undervotes where nobody is voted, or you could opt not to do that. Uh, either way, it's humans that set the conditions, whether it goes to review or whether it gets kicked over to actual people to look at, and that's called in progress. In progress is sent to bipartisan judges to decide voter intent. And once they do, it's they, they look at it and they say, you know, there's a, there's a guidebook, there's clear sets of rules of how you decide voter intent. 
And once they do that, it gets sent back to review where everything has been determined. Everything has been adjudicated. Adjudicated could be by a computer. Adjudicated could be by people. It could be a combination of both. Once that happens, it gets sent and the administrator tells it to go to submitted. Submitted is where the administrator pulls them from review to submitted. And ultimately down at the bottom right of this is where things go off to have the votes tabulated, counted and recorded as to how, you know, who, who that vote was for for each election. Everything that is challenged in report three is challenged during this process, during this adjudication process. There's not challenges to the signatures. There's not challenge to the later parts. It's all part of this. Does that answer your question, Commissioner? It, it very helpful, thank you. Okay, so, well, yeah, thank you. So going back to the scenarios, the report claims that three scenarios could have occurred to create the second adjudication log. Number one is human intervention that could have created it. Number two is that a procedure internal to the Dominion system, and they describe it at one point as algorithmically triggered. So somehow some code was put into there to change votes or to create this new log or something, somehow that the software had code in it that would do this. And the third possibility is external. And that's triggered remotely is how they describe it somewhere that somebody remoted in Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, some other way remoted into the system and did this. So those were the three things uh, that they say could have happened. And then the claims made, there's, it, it's said in a variety of forms, but it, this is a quote out of the report. It has been observed that a clerk giving the EMS election management system a command to stop and then restart adjudication in an election again creates new adjudication and tabulation databases. Mesa County clerks are very certain that they did not initiate any such action in either the November 2020 or the April 2021 elections. Therefore, it is likely that a procedure internal to the DVS, to Dominion Voting Systems software, had to perform a stop and restart of the adjudication services. And there's another statement similar that, that sort of explains what, they, what their conclusion was. Extensive questioning of Mesa County election clerks has ruled out human error as the reason for the unauthorized creation of election databases on October 21st, 2020, followed by the reprocessing of 20,336 ballots. These personnel have a strong recollection of the events of October 21st, 2020, and because of the timelines established by both the recollection and corresponding database timestamps, it is evident that any and all unusual actions they might have taken on that day were in response to the new databases creation. Now, again, it would have been very useful to our investigation if we could have spoken uh, to the individuals who wrote the report so that we could understand. They say these personnel had a strong recollection of the events. We want to know who did they talk to and what did those people say? Okay, so at this point, I'm going to... Whoops. I got to read in for one of our sponsors. So I'm really excited to, to have found this bank, uh, Axos Bank. They opened on Independence Day uh, in 2000. They're not crumbling brick and mortar. They're a fully digital bank built on the bedrock of American traditions. Take a look at the rewards checking account where you can earn their highest interest rate. It's a, it's a big one. Listeners can get $150 bonus when you open, um, op open up an, an account by July 31st. Big rewards from banks that believe that the freedom to do business without compromise or values. Amazing, right? So go to axosbank.com slash daily for full details. That's A-X-O-S dot com slash daily for all the cash bonus. All you need is $1,500 direct deposit in the first three months of opening your reward checking account. Axos Bank is federally insured, member FDIC, and they're for us, all of us. Axosbank.com slash daily. Go check them out. At this point, I want to talk about the 2020 general election, and I'm going to ask Investigator Struy to... Uh, queue up the video. While he's doing that, the report claims in essence that there were 10 batches. This is at the beginning of it. It, it starts off with things were suspicious at the very outset. There were 10 batches, which is approximately 1,000 ballots. Batches started 100, and there might be some that get removed from there. Coffee was spilled on it, or some, there's some reason they don't want to run it through the machine. 
but a batch is typically a hundred ballots or close to, and there were 10 batches that were populated into the tabulation database in less than a minute, and that this was impossible to have scanned. And the report theorizes that these ballots must have been preloaded into the software to tamper with the election. Uh, obviously that was the first place we were starting. And this was on October 19th of 2021. The scan batches, 10 of them were submitted to the internal computer network when the adjudication process was commenced. Uh, so uh, this was right when the election started. These were the first set of ballots that were brought into the system. So investigators, Drew, if I can have you just show the video and then walk us through what we're looking at. Sure, a quick note I'd like to make, uh, just in case anybody's viewed the tabulation room or been in there, this video is digitally mirrored. So at the time that this camera was set up, um, a, a box was clicked to mirror the image. So it's a little disorienting if you've been in here. I'll illustrate what's going on. But for example, uh, this gentleman is holding something in, in his hand. It appears to be his right hand. It's actually his left hand. And I can show real quick what I mean by this. So if I just flip this image, that's now corrected this to what the tabulation room actually looks like. Um, so this is an, a more accurate representation. I don't have a way to flip the video while playing it back. I can only flip the stills. And so when you're watching this video, understand that what appears left is right and what appears right is left. It's important for when you see what's going on on screens. So we're gonna look at the first uh, tabulated batch. Here we have election judges congregating. This appears to be a lesson. Sandra Brown is right here in the black. Again, she's the back office elections manager at this time. So she, it's her job to run this operation. There are two election judges who do the tabulation in this election, uh, Nola and Linda, uh, as I understand. So election rules say that you can't adjudicate and tabulate. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both. Uh, so they're getting ready to tabulate these first 10 batches. Sandra's setting up the tabulator computer. Those are called ICCs that are connected to the tabulator. The tabulator is a scanner. ICC stands for Image Cast Central. And so there appears to be a brief presentation where Nola and Linda are showing the other election judges kind of how this works, how they open the batches of ballots. I'll note this wall here, these are adjudication session uh, stations. So if adjudication was going on, you would have people here and you'll see later what that looks like. Um, these stations over here are not connected to any of these other computer, this, this internal network here. These are completely separate and they just print new ballots. So we're concerned about the tabulators and ICCs here and the adjudication here. This is the, go back in time here. This is the first batch. being scanned. And as you can see, everybody in the room is very intent upon this. I mean, the election has just started being processed. And so everybody is watching this. So on occasion, Linda will move, but I think everyone has probably seen, you can see ballots flipping through this scanner. While it's doing that, the scanner is taking a digital image and it's counting the ballots. The human is there to make sure that the total tally of the ballots that they put in the machine matches what the other judge put in that batch. They're shooting for a hundred. Sometimes it's a little bit less. So we can see them processing through. Again, this starts, uh, here's our time. This is accurate to real time. Uh, this, this camera is connected to the Mesa County network, which is connected to the internet. So it syncs with actual time. This is accurate. So this is the first batch that's being tabulated. We can see there's no adjudication being attempted. If I scrub forward, I've looked at this in detail. Uh, 
there are 10 batches scanned. So you can kind of see over the next 50 minutes or so, Linda returning to the tabulator and they're scanning. And you can see through all this, nothing's being adjudicated at this point. They're just scanning the 10 batches. So approximately just under an hour after that process begins, this is the first indication that we're going to start uh, adjudication. This judge has been handed what appears to be a sticky note. I don't know if I caught it perfectly for you. Uh, there's a sticky note that they're logging in from that Sandra presents to them. This is logging into an adjudication station. Okay, you can see a better view of the sticky note now. So again, this, this person cannot adjudicate alone. It requires a bipartisan teammate. So this is not adjudication happening yet. This is another station that can run adjudication, but this is called the EMS client. This is where the administrative functions occur. Sandra's the administrator. She's the only person who has the administrative login to this computer. She's gonna log into it. Now I'm familiar from this investigation that this screen, I recognize it's blurry. I recognize it's, it's grainy. By no means am I attempting to say this is exactly precisely what's going on, but I'm familiar with this screen and this matches with the user logs that we've obtained perfectly. She's in what's called RTR results tally and reporting. And the user logs show that she's turning on what's called automatic results loading. So we have 10 previously tabulated batches. That would be somewhere around a thousand ballots. And she's going to tell the system automatically load these results. And the logs that we have that this report was written from confirm that that's what in fact the computer was told is automatically load the ballots. Yeah, there's a very clear setting that says this user RTR S Brown initiated on that, uh, automatic results loading on. So she's done that. The computer's processing that. This would be the other bipartisan judge. And it'll become apparent when the computer has processed and retrieved those previously scanned batches of ballots and is now pulling them into the adjudication session. Yeah, so far, there's only one computer that's been logged into. So our eyes are kind of here. And over the next 47 seconds, the 10 batches of ballots are loaded. And that is the time frame that the report writers said this could not be possible that they scanned a thousand ballots or roughly a thousand ballots in 47 seconds. What occurred was they were scanned and sort of in holding. And when she clicked that command on the screen, it started processing them and took about 47 seconds to send those roughly thousand ballots over to be allowed to be adjudicated. So Sandra Brown would have understood this. Yes. And at any time in your investigation, were you, were you able to confirm whether or not she was ever contacted or consulted by the authors of the report? She refused to speak to us and they refused to speak to us. So we don't know from either one of them. What we do know is that the 11 people that investigators truly interviewed said that they have never been contacted by the authors of the report and had never heard of the authors of the report. Uh, so it is possible that either Ms. Brown or Ms. Peters were interviewed by them, but none of the other people in the room that had anything to do with important have ever heard of the re report authors or spoken to them. Okay, thanks. So just know, it, I think we all saw their reaction. It appears something is coming up on the screen. Obviously, we can't see this screen. Uh, their reaction indicates that they're getting ballot images now, which would be presented ones that need manual adjudication. And then Sandra goes through, you know, apparently a, a tutorial here. Again, the logs now confirm because there's specific logs when these ballots are being adjudicated, when these judges are making decisions, the user logs are, are reflecting that. Okay, so skipping forward now, that was the claim of ballots being preloaded on October 19th. The primary thing that they complained about in the report is October 21st that the adjudication was stopped and a new adjudication session started. Uh, so investigator, if you could pull up the video from the October 21st. 
from viewing the video, it appears that uh, that there's a problem going on and that Miss Brown tries a troubleshooting procedure called reset in progress batches. The objective of this procedure is to refresh the in progress batches so that ballot images that need to be adjudicated will appear on the screen for election judges to adjudicate. So essentially they're not moving over to the screen um, where, the, where the judges would adjudicate them. Uh, I wanna give you some context because these three options come up both in this election and in the March, excuse me, in the April election on the March date. Uh, the best way I can describe this is there is the very basic option. There's a more serious option. And then there's something I will casually refer to as the nuclear option. The very basic option I would say is akin to if you've ever had a problem with your cable and you call the cable company and they say, unplug your cable, wait five minutes and plug it back in and it will reboot. And you usually say, I already tried that before I called you, right? This is the very basic thing. She tries the reset in progress batches and it does not appear to fix the problem. The next option is called reject and delete. Reject and delete is to take the batches that were sent over from the NAS, reject them and kick them back out and have the NAS send them back again in the hopes that the new send will be received and, and operate properly. And then the final and nuclear option is the stop adjudication. And that is the thing that is not supposed to happen during an election. You should have a one continuous adjudication throughout. Uh, and so she appears to try the reset in progress, um, which is a sort of a refresh feature. And then uh, I'll have investigators to walk you through that. So I've let this video play. I think it's important to see, you know, there's not a concern now. Again, I've reviewed this, this video in detail. I'll do my best to summarize it here. But adjudication is, is ongoing. So is tabulation. In a moment here, we're going to get more judges set up at these adjudication sessions. And some judges are going to switch roles from duplication over to adjudication. And I'll just play right about from here. They've been adjudicating and it seems to be going okay. You'll notice these two distinctly, something is going on or, or they're done while they appear to be still adjudicating. We've got her raising her hand and she attempts to flag ultimately Sandra down. So we can't see the monitor but based on what Sandra does, it's apparent she's trying the reset in progress batches. So this is um, actually Sandra troubleshooting an orientation of the monitor issue. This election judge actually had a recollection. Her only recollection of any issue during the election was, yeah, I remember one time Sandra was helping us orient the monitor properly. It wouldn't orient correctly. They swivel and it wouldn't change. Uh, so at, at this point, that's what Sandra's doing at the EMS client now. And we've had contact with Dominion support, and they confirmed that if election manager Brown was in fact encountering the problem, she appears to be troubling, troubleshooting, a reset in progress batches procedure would have been appropriate. So we're not quite there yet. You can see Sandra is running the show here on this station apparently trying to fix something. It seems like probably they're not seeing ballot images, whereas these judges are clearly seeing ballot images. I would say clearly um, based on, on how you can see this monitor in the back. It says switched. So she set this, these judges back up. There's another problem. 
This is where Sanj will go back to the EMS client. to have lost my Zoom here. So I'm not quite sure how that, there we go. Uh, so this syncs exactly with the user logs as well. First, what Sandra does is submit some batches. So uh, when DA Rubenstein was showing you after batches have gone through review and I'm sorry, gone through in progress and they're in review, they cannot get from review to submitted without an administrator action. That's the action that Sandra's taking right now. You just see blue highlight on this screen, the user logs. This is a very distinct, clear user log where you select these batches. You have to drag them down into submitted and that creates a distinct log. That's a normal process. That's what she's doing now. This next highlight you'll see on the screen is on the opposite side of the screen. And that's where she's selecting the in-progress batches. See a large highlight here. This is key. So when you're selecting in-progress batches and you right-click on them, you're presented with only one option in the user interface, and that's the reset in-progress batches option. It's the only thing built in. So when she highlights these batches and gets a pop-up, it's the only thing that could be occurring. So it appears she's doing the right thing at this point. She's trying to refresh these in-progress batches. So apparently waiting to see if, if this will remedy it and then the video will, will speak for itself on whether or not it was fixed. Hey America, Apollo here. The circus is not over yet. Part two is coming up right now. So check it out in the next episode of Conservative Daily Podcast. <laughs>